2: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to one of the world's most popular and influential marketers. Joining us is Eric Huberman, who is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, which is a full-service marketing consultancy that acts as an outsourced CMO for their clients. Founded on the idea that every modern business needs a CMO-level expert to lead their digital marketing efforts, Hawk Media customizes data-driven, performance-focused solutions to help launch, scale, and invigorate businesses of all sizes, industries, and revenue models. Yesterday, Eric and I talked about his thoughts on whether ad spend will rebound in 2020. And today we're going to talk about the other portion of his business outside of the agency world, making MarTech investments. All right, on with the show. Here's the second part of my conversation with Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Eric, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Good to be here. Excited to have you back on the show. Look, we boiled the ocean yesterday and we (laughs) tried to look into the crystal ball and decide when we're going to put on our sequin dresses and tuxedo and when life will get back to normal for marketers, and for everybody. Yeah, the worst statement of all time, the new normal. The new normal. Hey, look, we're all inside wearing our sweatpants, but business and life must go on. And I want to talk to you about the un- other part of your business and not something that everybody knows. You also serve as an angel investor. Maybe i call you a VC. I don't know exactly what the term is
1: we do have a venture fund we've raised outside capital for so i think we are officially a vc
2: all right well hey welcome to the rich guy crowd you're a vc now i hope you get your vest on
1: i don't know i think the rich guy crowd's the angel investor they have the money of their own to invest versus the vcs use other people's but thankfully we
2: do both well good for you yeah (laughs) tell me a little bit about the martech space and you know why did you decide to make investments in that space as opposed to other products and services
1: strategic. It really what we found, and we've invested in consumer brands, we've invested in med tech, we've invested in all sorts of stuff. But where we can be the best foot on the scale for our investments is in marketing technology, because a few things, and by the way, just to clarify, if I can actually be a lever in a foot on the scale for one of my investments, that's a much better investment. If I know I can juice that investment just by nature of getting involved, that's where I want to invest. And so for us, We've got over 500 clients we manage marketing for. So if I invest in a fashion brand, let's just say, I can do their marketing. I can do their marketing without investing too. So the strategic angle of that isn't very high. So where it makes sense for us to invest in like those kind of companies is when there's something really unique going on and the company's showing a lot of early success. And they'll let us in as an investor because of who we are. So that's kind of the dynamic changes. With marketing technology, and it goes both ways, we'll either find a piece of technology and have our team try using it, or our team will start using a cool piece of technology and let us know, like, we have a thesis around wanting to launch our SMS marketing strategy. And we vetted 10 products. This one is the one we want to use. This fits all the needs that we have. By the way, they're raising their seed round. You should talk to them. That was Postscript. We actually invested in an SMS tool. So then we talk to them, we invest, and then we make it a part of our funnel. And we go, we're going to use this tool because we like it a lot, but now we're going to sell it as a service. And all of a sudden, we're responsible for, I think, about 10% of the brands on that platform because we everyone we onboard for SMS marketing, we put on Postscript. So we become a strategic partner that they become a part of our sales funnel. Generally, we're investing in small companies, so they're a lot smaller than us. So we're actually a very big partner that can get them from that pre-seed, seed seed kind of stage to their series A or that size, so to speak, that few million in revenue kind of stage very quickly because we can onboard a bunch of customers, be a partner, et cetera.
2: You're essentially your own flywheel for some of the brands that you're talking to. So I guess two questions that I have for you. One, I want to know what makes an attractive investment for in the MarTech company. What are some of the metrics that you look at? And two, what are the hot companies? What are the hot spaces? Let's take the first one. When you're looking at investments, how do you start to figure out what's a good deal? Yeah, hey, this company's got a great product. It's something that has the functionality that we want to use. That doesn't always mean that there's growth potential, right? I know that all the rich VCs have all their metrics that they have to look at and their benchmarks. Walk me through what some of the numbers look like.
1: Yeah, We have a whole scoring process. So number one is just do we like the tool? Like That's a big checkbox for us that most VCs don't have. They don't have a marketing team that's doing this day in, day out that goes, let's try it out. This worked great. Let's keep doing it. Oh, we've now onboarded 10, 12 clients. Shit, that looks like something we should invest in. That is the first big checkbox when it comes to MarTech. Number two... Is there actually a like true scalable business out of this? Like what is the vision? Because there's features that we can use across our companies that are great. I won't name the company, but an email lightbox for collecting email addresses. Like that company that we choose has actually done really well. But if someone came to me with a software for that, it's such a small part of the marketing mix and such a small offering. Like, what well, can you charge five bucks a month for it? Like, I don't see the business, even if we onboarded all our clients, you wouldn't be making
2: it's also low barrier to entry. There's all the other email tools in the world that are much more feature-rich that can add a lightbox into what they're doing.
1: Right. Which, by the way, still goes back to the first part, which is like, if my team who sees all these different softwares every day goes, this is needed, it's a pretty good chance that like, the saturation thing isn't a problem, but it's still like, what is really the addressable market? Like, Is this actually something that could, has a propensity to be big? And to be clear, our venture, or our venture thesis is not like a lot of other funds where it's like, we only invest in billion-dollar potential. Like we're okay with investing in one hundred million dollar potential, but it still needs to have that kind of opportunity, which at the current rates means it needs to get to seven to ten million dollars in revenue as a software business. Like that has to be attainable and pretty quickly.
2: here's the one thing I never understood about the investment strategy is that you know the shooting for the unicorn, the billion dollar valuation, what matters should be the return, not the valuation. So, if you're putting in and getting out uh, you know, a larger sum up front, if you put in $50,000 into a company that becomes a $500 million company, but you got 30% of the company for that investment, it's worthwhile.
1: Oh, sure. So, yeah, what matters is the valuation you get in on. And that's part of what we do. We were very careful what the valuation is on the rounds we do. We have a pretty strict thesis around that, too. And we try to stay you know, in the four to 7 million range on valuation, so early companies. And every once in a while, we'll stretch that, but it's got to be a good reason. So we peg four to 7 million. And if it's more than that, there's got to be a great reason why we're getting in on the round.
2: Okay. Now, you want to see a certain level of maturity in terms of them being able to generate money. The MRR is a figure that you look at, as opposed to the potential growth
1: yeah, we just want to know like, can they get some customers? Like, I don't want to be the person that introduces their first customer. I want to see some traction, something happening. And I, I also am a believer that like, if a core founding team can't get a company to launch and actually get some money coming in, they're not a good core founding team. And there's nuance to that. I'm speaking in hyperbole, but like almost all the time, if you don't have a team that can actually start generating money without raising money, I'm worried about what I'm investing in.
2: I'm sure it depends on the exact type of business. If you're running a media business, I'll use Quibi as an example, right? They took billions of dollars of investment. Obviously, that went pretty badly. (laughs) But they also had to make a ton of content, right? There's a lot that goes into that.
1: So I disagree with that because I think that there was absolutely an opportunity there to build a platform, get a little bit of content and see how it went. That is exactly the issue I have with those types of businesses. Same thing with Magic Leap, which I don't know if that's been called a failure yet but they raised billions of dollars with nothing to create a VR headset that's now way behind the technology from everything I've heard. I'm not an expert in VR, but that is the problem with these funding companies is they need to show that they can execute. And don't get me wrong, again, there is nuance. If it's deep technology or something really specific, maybe you do need to raise some money ahead of time. Even product companies are going to need some supply. Like you might need some money, but those are not necessarily the business I'm going for. And marketing technology, if you can't develop the tech, to get to market, why am I investing in you? You're obviously not the right jockey.
2: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. So you're looking at product, you're looking at some early traction, you're gating by what the valuation is going to be. What are some of the other signals that you look at to figure out whether something's going to work or not?
1: Other partners and the founders backgrounds, do they actually understand the ecosystem they're stepping into? Have they done something like this before? Or are they just going to be learning on our dime? Because good ideas, even good products, you still want someone that can actually get through it. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm afraid of a first-time founder, but I want to know what's their strategic advantage too, not just mine. So again, Martech, I can bring them a ton of clients, but why do they have their foot on the scale? What about them is going to ensure that this could actually go somewhere? Is it what relationship, what partnership, what experience is going to give them an unfair advantage that if I was in their industry or I was a competitor, I'd be like, God damn it. I really wish they hadn't stepped in here. I want their competitors to be frustrated by the fact they exist.
2: So talk to me about where you see opportunity in the MarTech space. We've seen the number of MarTech companies explode, right? We're 7,000 companies on Scott Brinker's MarTech 5000. It's so big that the name MarTech 5000 doesn't even make sense anymore. Sorry, Scott. What are the big opportunities? Where are the places where you see growth? You know, exciting opportunities.
1: I'm keeping my eye out, but like we invested in PostScript with a thesis around SMS marketing. I'm not yet sure what that next thing is. I think AR and VR are going to continue to be interesting. And I think the adoption with Oculus has become more interesting, but I'm not sure from a MarTech standpoint, what's going to be in that space. I really like speech advertising. We invested in a company called Instramatic. That is, uh, you actually can talk to the advertisement and they're already powering a bunch of major apps. You know, You can actually speak to the advertisement and talk back and forth. I think that's obviously coming and it's a no-brainer. And these guys seem to be leading the charge. Wevo is another one we did recently. It's going to be AI-driven site optimization. Websites are still such a manual thing. It's kind of crazy to me. So I think like a lot of automation around that's going to start to happen too. So it goes back to what people have been talking about for a few years in terms of automation AI. We invested in Junction AI, which is create uh, AI driven, creative optimization before you have to test it and spend money works impeccably well, which is what we tested it, used it Went this is really good. And these are all things that become interesting, because I think the more you can create a lever on people being able to be more creative and high brain thinking, and take off the mundane optimization tasks off their plate, it'll be interesting. So I think a lot of Martech that does that right, the issue is a lot of them don't do it right. Their algorithms don't actually work and don't do a good job. So it's really a question of the individual company, but it's all gonna be around, I think, optimization, as well as new ways of engaging, whether it's speech, whether it's ARVR, I think those will come too. The issue I have with speech and ARVR, still speech is a little better, is performance. Like it's a good branding play, but I haven't seen it actually drive sales yet speech, people purchasing through their Amazon Alexa, it's there, but it's not a big piece would be my assumption. I don't know the stats, but I don't think it's big. So it'll be some time before human adoption kicks in that that's actually bigger.
2: Talk to me about where you think that there are opportunities in data. I keep hearing about intent data companies being more sophisticated. Do you see and do you consider that to be part of the MarTech landscape?
1: I don't know, because I think people use the word intent as like, it's really just pattern recognition, not intent. And I think intent is Google. I'm looking for this. Intent isn't tracking that someone's like shopping around for shoes and that they're going to buy your shoes. That's not really intent. So I don't know. I guess it is intent, but I haven't seen it executed very well. I've seen them called intent, but I think, yeah, of course, if you can step into the middle of the funnel when someone's already looking for your product and show yourself because they have the intent to purchase something like yours, there's something there, but how to execute that is very difficult.
2: So help me understand the sort of long game here for you. I, you know, I understand that you obviously run a very successful large agency and you've got the VC arm. It seems like there's a lot of intertwined priorities. How are you able to manage all this and what's the long game for you to sort of manage the integration between both the VC and the agency arms?
1: It's really just having good people. I have a great partner on the VC arm. We also launched Hawk Capital, which is actually a financing arm. So like giving loans to people for their marketing. We've just got different operators that we bring in. I mean, I learned that. I read the Richard Branson biography and then read a little bit more about him and his whole model of building businesses is hire the COO of your biggest competitor, which not saying I do that. I'm not at that level yet, but the guy that ran Virgin America was the COO of United. So get someone that already knows everything you need to know about it, add your little nuance and let them run it. So I have no issues with delegation and don't get me wrong, we have a lot going on, but like I make a point to delegate. So I've never been the bottleneck. Every time I feel like I'm a bottleneck, I hire someone or move something around so that I'm not. So I hate stuff sitting on my plate. When I see my pile stacking, I know I'm doing something wrong. So it's a lot of delegation hiring good people.
2: Well, I appreciate that you don't delegate the public speaking. It's always great (laughs) to have you as a guest on the podcast. That's where
1: AI comes in. We'll get there.
2: Yeah, well, you're a sweatpants wearing bot, apparently, but (laughs) it's good to reconnect. Thanks for coming back and being our guest.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Hawk Capital, Hawk Martech Investments, Hawk Everything for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Eric, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Eric Huberman, E-R-I-K-H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, or you can visit his company's website, which is hawkmedia.com.